And it's like, we have to die to everything that we want to be true, everything we think is true, and say, okay, God, I surrender to your way and that's revealed in scripture and I'm gonna follow that. And from this conversation, you know, would it be fair to say that you don't hold the classical Christian view of the deity of Christ and the Trinity? What's up, everybody? Welcome back to the Things You Don't Hear in Church podcast. My name is Ethan. And my name is Gary. And guys, go check us out on all the social medias. We got Instagram, TikTok. We gave a few videos on Facebook. We gave up on that. That's Facebook. (laughs) Um, But check us out on YouTube and uh, Spotify and iTunes. Everywhere you guys get podcasts and watch content, we're there. So check us out, follow us, comment on our stuff, share it with your friends, and help reach the world with Christ. Let's get into it. Yeah. So today, as always, as we say every time, we have a very interesting, special guest here today. I'm excited for this one. Um, We have a lady that we met online. Uh, She's a TikTok creator. Um, she's a Christian witch, and so we're going to interview her about that and her perspective on that. I have some questions mm-hmm. for her today. Her name is uh, Sarah Rastrison, and yeah, we're excited to talk to her. Is there anything you want to plug, Sarah, as we get started? Um, yeah, so in terms of my stuff, if you want to know more about anything that we talk about here today, um, I am on YouTube, TikTok, Instagram, Twitter, uh, and you know, I have a website as well, sarahrastrison.com, where you can see you know, all those same links, plus all of my other writing that I do, fantasy writing, nonfiction writing, all of it's up there. Awesome. So just diving right in at the beginning, as all podcasters have to say at the beginning of a podcast, um, how did you get started in all of this? I know it's like sort of a controversial subject of like being a Christian and being a witch and all of that. Um, how did you get started? Uh, were you a witch first or a Christian first? Where did all of this start? It was a long time ago, recent? Yeah, no. So um, honestly, uh, again, so I I am Slovenia American. And as a result, you know, uh, between the area I live in now in Rhode Island, and also my mom being from Slovenia, I grew up very Catholic. Um, And so my mom wasn't very forceful with it, right? Like she didn't make me do any of these uh, things, except like go to church once a week, and do my first communion. Okay, great. But otherwise, I mean, she kind of just let me do my own thing. And we were very relaxed house, you know, I know some people had issues with like Pokemon or Harry Potter (laughs) or something like that. And my mom was like, it's fantasy. Who cares? So, and my dad has a huge imagination too. So I grew up loving all things fantasy, dragons and wizards and all these kinds of things. Always had a massive imagination. Um, And so funnily enough, that kind of led me down a rabbit hole when I was like 10. I was watching um, this anime, right? I was watching Naruto and they Mm. had all this stuff about like, the ninjas and the chakras and it all looked very fun and exciting i was right. 10 so i i was on the internet just googling everything about it and somehow one way or another i ended up on those really like cheesy 90s era witch websites <laughs> that have like spells like how to make time speed up and how to make <laughs> the rain happen and just like silly silly things and i was 10 so again i was like no way i can make time go faster so i was all in it um but as I like, grew up, obviously, I realized magic did not actually work that way. Couldn't really do things like that. But um, I discovered Wicca. And Wicca was interesting. But because of my Christian background, I just, I didn't really, it didn't make sense to me. Mm. I didn't connect with it. And I also didn't want to leave the religion I had because I always felt like God was good. Mm. You know, Mary, Jesus, the saints, the angels. I never had a problem with any of it. Um, and so I wanted to stay in this religion. But... I mean, they're talking about doing healing potions and all these fun things with like herbs and stones. So I just point blank looked God in the eye and I was like, what's the problem? 
what's wrong with this? Like, say, like, give me a reason why I couldn't use your own creation to do any of this. And the answer I got was, it's not actually. <laughs> so hmm. I just got this sense that like, no, actually, this is fine. There is a much more nuanced part of this story that people really miss. And so that by then I was 14 and I just went down such like many avenues of figuring out like philosophies of magic, histories of magic, like where this condemnation of witchcraft comes from, what things were actually condemned and what wasn't, what was fine. And I mean, we can get like conspirational about it, but at the end of the day, really what it boils down to is no one liked a layman having power. No one liked a layman being able to make their own decisions about their own life. And so as it stands now, a large part of the reason I call myself a Christian witch and not say maybe a folk healer or a folk magician or anything like that is simply because I want that subversive quality. There's a subversive quality to the title witch that people, like I can kind of tell who people are by how they react to that word. That makes sense. So what do like witches say when you tell them that you're a Christian witch? I know you on your TikTok you said they had some adverse responses and stuff. I'm sure there's a, like a myriad spectrum of things that people have responded to that. But what do people usually say from like that perspective? Yeah, so from the witch perspective, um, it varies. But uh, what I notice a lot is that there are many people who, you know, they had their moment of deconstruction and they had a moment where they said, you know what, this religion is terrible and bad and it hurts innocent people and all these things, which is true in a way, right? There's a lot of harm that the church as an institution has done, mm -hmm. but they falsely ascribe it to God himself and they falsely ascribe it to Christ, right? And so when they see me being a Christian witch, they get very confused because a lot of them, I feel like haven't done the work to unpack you know, a lot of the things that happened to them growing up. A lot of people had very bad experiences in church. And so when they see, when they see basically their trigger, which is a you know Christianity back in what they thought was their space, they get very upset about it. Hmm. Um, they're like, you can't do that. Your book says this, you're this, that, and the other thing. Um, some, some are curious and some will ask me how that works and I'll explain it, but others are very, very um, obstinate, I guess. They, hmm. they really don't want to hear it because they don't want to acknowledge that you know, God is present still and is active because they couldn't, they couldn't get answers from him. They didn't know why. And so they're sitting here thinking, how is this possible? You know? So um, before we move on for the audience, as well as like all of us being on the same page, can you define what you mean by which? Because I'm sure there's a lot of ideas out there. And so if we can find a, a solid definition moving forward, then people don't have their own opinions on what you are meaning, yeah. you know? No, yeah, this is a this is a great question because um, after Wicca got really popular in you know, after it started in the fifties and got popular in the sixties and then the nineties again, the definition completely changed from what it used to be. Hmm. Um, and you know, it did used to have a lot of connotations of harm to the community and all these kinds of things, but now the word witch really just means anyone who understands how to connect to divinity and the world around them through their own life force, really, I guess is the most concise way I could put it. Because mm. all magic is, is the energy in your own body. Like everyone has it, whether you call yourself a witch or not, whether you practice magic or not, everyone has that life force, right? That breath of life, that's, that's an energy. And so it's really just someone who knows how to use that energy, honestly. Mm. Interesting. Mm. I never heard that before. 
Okay. Cool. And then what do Christians say when you say that you're a Christian witch? Oh, man. <laughs> um, I, I get probably every verse under the sun thrown at me. Like, they just throw the whole book at me. But the problem is they don't open the book and actually read it is what I noticed. So they'll, they'll kind of, from what I understand, I mean, anyone can Google, like, Bible witchcraft and pull up a bajillion and two verses that say something about divination, soothsaying, necromancy, witchcraft, something or other. Um, and they'll just start quoting those wholesale at me. They'll say, well, you can't do that because X, because Y, because Z. All these verses that I know the context of these verses and the Greek and the Hebrew behind them and what they were actually talking about. But the people who quote them at me very evidently do not. And I try to explain it to them. And then they just toss out another verse and then another verse. And they say, nope, this is the lies of Satan. This is, uh, you can't serve two masters, is my favorite heavily misquoted verse that gets tossed at this situation. Um, you know, they're, they're always saying, oh, Satan comes as an angel of light, which is, again, they, it, it always said, like, says to me, they're just repeating phrases mm -hmm. that they don't quite fully seem to understand, mm -hmm. but they've been taught to say these canned phrases, and so I just get a lot of those, and I'm like, okay, but have you tried to think about what these phrases mean? <laughs> in the context of which they were said so mostly people on like the christian side just like <clears throat> sort of quoting and misquoting verses at you and saying that you can't be a witch too are there a lot of christians who are like it's totally fine or is it mostly like negative from that side there are actually a lot of christians who are fine with this because they understand witchcraft the way i understand it which is just using that energy and using it to connect to god right um and to speak to god uh and so you know, I find that the biggest problem I have is like, it's not all Christians that act like this, obviously, definitely not. It's specifically the ones that act like the Bible is the be all end all and that they forget about the one that had it written. Mm -hmm. So like, for me, it's a lot of like, the Bible says this, and that's great. The Bible's a great way to understand the character of God and understand the history and politics and culture and context of where he was operating in. But he is still active and you can still talk to him directly. The Bible is great as a jumping off point, but it's not everything. He's still right there. Hmm. And so, you know, he will tell people different things. There's different strokes for different folks. And so when people say, oh, you can't do that because God says not to, I'm like, first of all, he didn't. But second of all, for me, this is what he said I should do. So this is what I'm going to do. Well, that's a great transition into our next question. Uh, what are your views on the authority of the Bible and its place in the Christian's life? Yeah, so the Bible is a really interesting thing. I think it is a fantastic story. I think it is a very human story um, that chronicles, you know, all the things God says not to do, and then people that he loves dearly and wants to see win, they do all these things anyway. And we still find a way back to the, the conclusion, which is that, like, God is good and we need to love each other. I think that's a great thing. And I think there are so many valuable lessons and so many wonderful aspects of the many different writers that put it all together. But when people say our authority is scripture, I bristle at that because our authority is not scripture. Our authority is God. But the word of God, yes, the word of God uh, is a concept, but Jesus is the word made flesh. So if you are just kind of ignoring the word made flesh for the very dusty word on paper that has been mistranslated, abused, rewritten, lost, burned, tossed out, uh, debated over endlessly for like centuries and centuries and centuries, you kind of, you get lost in the weeds, right? I feel like this is a lot of that legalism Jesus talked about. You get very lost in the weeds and you forget to actually just 
commune directly, pay attention, get the actual moral of the story. Hmm. So you take you would take scripture as more of like a a narrative that was written by people about who God is and not like uh, God breathed kind of a thing. I definitely think God had a hand in it, but I don't think that every single thing in there is 100% God. I think there's like, I mean, just for instance, right, Galatians versus Timothy. First of all, Timothy, uh, people theorize, was not actually written by Paul at all. They say it was actually written by someone else writing in his name. And what it does is walk back all of the really radical, um, profound things Paul said in Galatians, like there's neither Jew nor Greek, there's neither male or female, we're all one. Timothy walks that back. And I mean, yeah, at that time, once Paul is gone, these church fathers kind of just took a lot of Roman polytheist culture and wove it into later manuscripts of the Bible. So you can see that as that culture starts reverting right back to the same stale hierarchical structure that it was. So you don't believe that all of Scripture then is inspired? Because Timothy itself, right, says inspired and useful for correction. Does all Scripture's got to breathe? And inspired for and useful for correction, rebuke, and edification, or something like that. So, would you say that that's not the case then? That's not all scripture is divinely inspired? Um, I would definitely say, first of all, there are a lot of things in the Bible that weren't intended to be scripture. Uh, Paul's writings were like letters to specific churches. If I had a priest email me something, I don't think that email would qualify as scripture today, but that's kind of what they did to Paul's writings. Mm. So, there's a lot of things that made it in the Bible that maybe shouldn't have. And there's a lot of things that really kind of probably should have gone in the Bible that didn't, like Mary Magdalene's gospel. It's agnostic tasks, yes, but it has a lot of really valuable, valuable and incredibly profound points that would be really helpful to everyone to hear. However, at the time, uh, the church couldn't really maintain power if people were being told that everyone is truly fully human and fully divine, and that everyone can remember that they are powerful. So they had it burned and buried. Mm-hmm. Like, Well, yeah. Not to get so much on a debate about the scriptures, but with that being said, it raises some questions, right? Like if Mary's gospel is divine and inspired and it should be in there, and it, I never read Mary's gospel, but if, I read it, parts of it. Yeah, if it's true that it says that we're all divine and human, then that kind of goes, so it sounds like it goes in the face of the scripture that says your heart is evil above all else. But another point um, to be made is that even Peter thought that Paul's writings were scriptures. Like he said, he include when he's talking about the scriptures, he includes Paul's writings in there. Have you heard that one before? Not like a gotcha, well, but like a you, you've heard a lot of no, yeah. conversations. No, I mean like I'm sh- I'm sure he did, but like is it in the sense that oh yeah, this is definitely divinely inspired, or is it in the sense that wow, this is a great thing, this is a great point, like you know? So it's it's kind of hard. Inspired to... one. I mean, maybe, and you know what? Yeah, Paul had Paul is amazing with some of the stuff he wrote some of the stuff was like his definition of love is beautiful yeah but again this is the problem right is that timothy is written in his name when now we're finding out it might not have been paul Mm. it might have been a student of paul's it might have been somebody else Mm. using paul's name for clout you know so these are the things that have me like you got to ask god directly there are points where god is not the author of confusion is the thing i often hear people say but mankind is and mankind absolutely saw certain things, didn't quite understand, you know, and it was sometimes as simple as they might have gotten a smudge on a manuscript because these monks were writing them all out by hand and then they changed a word on accident. And other times it was people saying, no, that doesn't sound right and changing things a little bit. So God had a certain intention. Mankind kind of didn't. 
And so that's where, like, even if some scriptures that are in the Bible canonically say, oh, our hearts are all evil, that is also kind of the point of Mary Magdalene's gospel, right? And that, like, there is, Jesus says there's no such thing as sin. What sin is, is when you forget who you are and you forget that you are divine and you act in ways that are not in service of your highest self, right? You act out of ignorance, out of anger, out of hate, all these things. That's mm -hmm. where this idea of sin comes from. Is that from Mary? Idea that, yeah, okay. this is Mary okay. Magdalene's gospel. Okay. So it lines up in a way, you know, like, yeah, our hearts are evil in a way, but it's because they're clouded by the trappings of the physical. When we forget that we are not just physical, we are also spiritual. Mm -hmm. Um, you said, I think this is where like the division kind of happens. Um, sort of defining like where scripture begins and ends and stuff like that can be the hard place to come to. Um, a couple of years ago, I did a whole bunch of work on like the inerrancy of scripture, what is scripture, and read all like all those books, all of Ehrman, everything that everybody loves to go to on the Bible being mistranslated and all that kind of stuff. Um, and you know, I'm sure you know, like every book of the Bible, the author is attested, like or is a uh, is debated over, right? And so we really right. we can give evidence for who we think wrote certain books, and we can look outside of the Bible to the Roman authors and who they attested different people to be. So we can attest to certain books more than others. But no matter what, it's sort of debated who the authorship is. It's highly debated what verses people think have been changed and not changed. Like most mm -hmm. people. Um, would argue back and forth with Ehrman on different parts of the Gospels being changed um, and different things being changed for different political reasons as well, especially because the Christians didn't have power for a long time. Um, so I guess my question is to you. Like, you can say all those things, it's all debated, and we can have a podcast for 24 hours <laughs> yeah. about it and still not get anywhere. Oh, yeah. You know what I mean? Like, way smarter people have had that conversation above us. Mm -hmm. So I guess for you, though, where is the point where you find something to be Scripture versus not Scripture? Um is kind of the the what we're trying to get at, I guess, right? Because some things yeah. Yeah. maybe we just don't like, but what does it make it scripture versus not scripture? Is that really just where it comes in, like God's voice for you, or is there something different, some other kind of standard? Well, and this kind of brings it back to our starting point, I guess. But the one thing um, that, like, the one question I have as a litmus test for scripture is: mm. Does this hurt innocent people? If, a, if something hurts innocent people, it is not of God. And that has never steered me wrong. And that's how I really started also figuring more about witchcraft and other things and learning a lot of this nuanced, ugly underbelly of all of these things that were being used as, as power trips, right? So for me, if I look at a piece of scripture and it's out there just like dogging people, it's not of God. If it's out there hurting innocent people, if it's out there saying that people are, you know, to be treated badly or anything, it's not of God. And even verses like that are about slavery rules. Those I still understand as being of God because they are rules for the time, right? They're rules saying this is the kind of structure we have. You have a slave, but you still have to treat them well. They're still a person. Right. You can't abuse them, right? right? So there's still things there that work with the structure of the time, but are still geared towards making sure people are safe and there's boundaries and there's respect. So if, the, if it goes against those principles, it's simply not scriptural. It's not, it cannot be of God if it abuses and hurts innocent people. Can I ask um, two questions off that? Because I think we have pretty different presuppositions on it. What do you mean by innocent? And I guess what scriptures would you think about that do that? Are you talking about like when the times in the Old Testament when God commands genocide and stuff like that? So... When I say innocent people, I mean like people who can do absolutely nothing about the situation. Like women, for instance, if there are mm -hmm. rules that hurt women, uh, that's not of God. That's why the bit of like Galatians, 
Absolutely scriptural. Yes, there is neither Jew nor Greek. There is neither male nor female. That's absolutely uh, in line with the spirit of God, in my opinion. But something that says women are not to speak, women are not to teach. Well, first of all, that goes against just the history of the actual gospels and apostles themselves. But second of all, that you've just cut out an entire half of God's children from actually being able to profess his mm. word, which that hurts people. That causes a lot of problems. Yeah. Like, have you heard the explanation of like what was happening in the culture and where Timothy was pastoring and the and that it was like actually just specifically those women in those churches? Because, yeah, 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 and I've heard, I've heard that too. And that's but here's the thing: it's being it's now used, even though we understand this context that that verse is specifically about these churches that just can't get it together, uh -huh. right? Um, it's now being used for any woman. Oh, if there's a woman in ministry, every anywhere ever then that's a godless church. You know, people will say that. I've seen people yeah, say people that. Yeah, people use it to, and, in, in ways that are inappropriate. I, I agree. But I would still say that's just their misunderstanding of Scripture. You know, maybe that's what we're coming down to is we interpret Scripture differently. Right. You know, but yeah, I'd say like, I would still think all of Timothy, I can tell, I, I hold the classic view that it was written by Paul and that it's Scripture. But yeah, I'd say that if it's something that's confusing and it looks like it, it's not about the character of God, then that's where we have to do more digging and more question asking. Right. right. But yeah, and yeah. this is where ironically discernment uh, is really important, right? It's so important. Um, and so I don't know, I get a lot of people who always say, oh, use your discernment, witchcraft isn't good. And I'm just like, mm -hmm. I, I know how to use discernment and I know how to discern what is right and what is wrong. Mm -hmm. I know how to hear God. And so that's why it's like, listen, you know, I, I guess it's hard because it's like when you know stuff that other people don't and they don't want to take the information, you're kind of just like, OK, I don't know what to do with you then. Yeah, well, it's like if you're ever talking to someone and like when I share my faith with people and I realize like, oh, these people don't care. They're not going to change their mind. I can answer all their questions. It's like, well, then because I had a, I had one of my students ask me this. She's like, oh, I want you to talk to this guy that I talked to. Like, you'd be really good to talk to him. And I was like, well, did he seem like he was open to conversation or is he just kind of prideful in his thinking? And, She's like, well, he doesn't seem like he wants to change his mind. I was like, I probably won't talk to him then. You know, like, yeah, I'll, then, I'll engage with him no and be cordial, but I'm, I'm not going to push hard. You know, but um, oh, I just had a thought. Do you have a question while I think of my... Uh, yeah. Uh, so more on like the... Uh, we talked about the Bible and all kinds of stuff for a little bit. Back on the, the witch's sort of reaction to um, you being a Christian witch. Um, you said, like, from the Christian perspective, there are some Christians who are cool with it. And there are some Christians who are not... And then from the witch perspective, it's kind of like these deconstruction-y kind of witches who are like, why is like Christianity invading our space again? Is there any pushback beyond that? Or is it like, is there any, like, uh, this is my belief, this is my belief, you can't have these like two things together, sort of like on the Christian side of it? Or is it really just like the stigma culturally around like where some of the witches have come from? You know what I mean? Um, I, I think so. Do you mean just like, like, is there anything other than just the Bible that Christians try and well, for, use to say? Or? Not on the Christian side. Like Christians would be like, you shouldn't do this because of this verse and this verse. And you would say, well, I, I interpret right, these right. verses differently. Right. And then you said like on the mm -hmm. witch side, it's like they just have a cultural bias towards you because some of them used to be Christians. Not like a the code of witches says like a doctor have to do this kind mm -hmm. of thing. You know what I mean? Yeah. Right, yeah, because, yeah, that's that's the thing, is that witchcraft, especially as we understand it, it's not a monolith, right? Um, everyone's doing all kinds of different things. What it definitely comes down to, and this is why, um, I'm not going to say it's funny, but I do think it's very ironic that a lot of these Christians, uh, not Christians, I'm sorry, a lot of these witches, they end up using the same verses that Christians do, right? They end up, like, dusting off their old Bible from when they were Christian, pulling it out, 
and doing the whole thing. And it's because, again, they didn't really deconstruct fully, right? They're still in a very Christian attitude because, I mean, we this culture is very much still culturally Christian. Even if we want to say there's a lot of, you know, it's agnostic, it's still very culturally Christian. And so even people I've spoken to who now work with demons and who have, you know, never been Christian at all, they still were afraid because the overriding culture, right? All the movies in Hollywood that comes out is that demons are scary and are going to eat you all. So that's just kind of the influence. And so these people, they still definitely grew up with these kinds of attitudes and they didn't really undo them. Um, and so you can see that come through when they start getting ironically very legalistic for religions that are very not legalistic. And so for me, it's just a matter of trying to take them aside and say, hey, hey, uh, a secret. All religion is inoperable without some form of magic. That's how religion works. That's because it's an ancient faith. Like, that's how it works. So a lot of people don't realize they're doing magic when they ask God a question, open their Bible and point to a random verse and get an answer. That's a form of divination. But people don't recognize it as that because they're saying, well, it's the Bible. It's God. How can it be divination? That's literally one of the basic techniques of communicating with your God. Like you need to know that or else you're just off there in the wind. Hmm. Mm-hmm. From uh, a young age, it seems like maybe you um, like were able to talk to God. And I know a lot of Christians have different like opinions about that. We definitely believe you can talk to God. And there's a sermon, all that kind of stuff. I talk to him all the time. Yeah. Um, what was that like for you? Like learning to hear the, the voice of the Lord. When did you start to hear that? Stuff like that from your background. Yeah. So, I mean, as a kid, I would just kind of talk, right? Mm -hmm. I would talk and I don't, I would just get like feelings, right? Like you could just get a feeling that something was not right, but you didn't know how. And like, you would just get this tug to do certain things, to look up certain things and you would go there and you'd be like, oh, Um, but you know, as I get more into magic, uh, I do use tarot cards, right? Because I'm a very visual person. We could be talking about something and I will forget because it is not literally written in front of me. So I like to use the cards because if I space out and I get distracted, they're right in front of me. I can remember what God was trying to tell me. It's very good, right? Um, but even then, that progressed later to, um, you know, in the Bible, I believe it says God's voice is like a small, tiny voice. And I understand what that voice is, right? Because when your thoughts are going a mile a minute, sometimes just one little phrase that seems like to be coming from outside of yourself will just slip under all of that all of those words that rush of thoughts it'll slip under it and just interrupt it all like throwing um you know like a block into a swarm of things coming by and that's enough to you know make you pay attention so that's when i really heard god's voices and like hey you know just a quick redirect of my thoughts and um it's still easy for me to use the cards just because that's the language we have with each other People don't understand that God will speak to you in any way that he's going to get through to you. It doesn't matter what it is. Um, and so, you know, I have my cards and things, but I can also just hear those snaps of phrases that just pop up. Um, and those other things, those ideas and the images, especially it's a lot of, especially meditation imagery. Um, I remember I was talking to Jesus and I got a really beautiful parable about like civilization and, and the way the world that we live in um, and how like, you know, it was like being in a desert. He said, it's like being in a desert where, you know, sands will cover these columns and sands will uncover them again. And they're always there, but they'll keep coming and going by our perception. Hmm. Interesting. So what is your view kind of changing, moving along topics? What is your view 
on the spiritual realm then because i would say from your perspective you're kind of just taking like the voice of god and like the energy within ourselves um, to be the way that we connect with him and i think most christians at least uh, i think this is our perspective like the holy spirit is the thing that does that so what's the difference for you in like the holy spirit angels and demons the whole spiritual realm i know it's a big question but like what are your views on those things and how they interact with us and hearing the voice of god and things like that oh yeah um they're always around <laughs> they're always there um and so i've encountered a lot of different entities and i think the biggest problem is that if you don't ever meet these other entities you'll never be able to actually pick out god from the rest so like i remember um when i first encountered certain pagan deities like loki they felt radically different from god radically different and they showed up different ways and they showed me different things and i was like oh wow um this is not at all what i've been doing the past 10 years this is not at all what i recognize this is completely foreign um and so i definitely think um there is some caution to be had right like there are other entities out there but a lot of people say that people like to dress up as the holy spirit or they like to play tricks it is very hard to confuse someone as huge and bold and bright and in your face as god or even just as michael with any of these other entities like it's very different <laughs> yeah going back a little bit to how you um what you're saying about like you said i know the voice of god and so i believe like we like Derek said we believe charismatic. That, yeah. was that we're charismatic. yeah we're charismatic we believe that god can speak i believe i've heard him a lot of times but i've always had the idea and i believe this is um and like this goes back to this is why i said we have different presuppositions like how we view the authority of scripture but i believe the way that we hear god is that you know god will never say anything that contradicts his what he's revealed in scripture and so if you hear something you can always verify it with the bible right and so when it comes to how you view the bible and a little bit different of how you said like some of this stuff might be pseudopigraphal and some of this is like legit and you have to use the discernment when it comes to that if you don't have like like what's your solid basis for knowing the voice of god whereas like if i hear god's voice i can go back and look at the bible and confirm different things but do you have that objective foundation that's outside yourself that kind of is a guiding a, a guiding light does that make sense yeah no and honestly um it's kind of the same really where it's like okay um i can go into scripture and i dig deeper into the context though you know so it's like if, if i just open up my english bible and interpret this thing about this literally ancient near eastern faith that was written in hebrew greek and everything else you're you're gonna you're gonna miss a little bit right there's gonna be some things that don't quite carry over into the next two millennia so for me, it's like, okay, God, I don't really know about X, Y, and Z. And so I go into the Bible and I look at it and I read my scholarship and I find a lot of answers uh, that answer my original question. Um, and I, I guess for me, it's like the things where God really has to step in and speak to me aren't really issues of like scripture like that. It's more like my own personal issues, right? Like my own personal struggles with uh, anxiety and not like really letting go and trusting him with something. That's where he's just like, hey, like pay attention you know that's where he really steps in and shakes things up on me mm -hmm. um but when it comes to theology i really just i ask him like show me where i need to go show me what i need to see and he'll show me and it just leads to me getting very upset about the way in which the social and political culture of the world 
has developed to keep people disenfranchised because that seems to be the through line of it all. But, you know, in the end, it's really just, yeah, I can confirm things with scripture too because I look at the context in which the scripture was written. Are you one of the other different types of witches? Whereas like earlier you said you can use the herbs and things of the earth to make a natural uh, healing potion of some sorts, right? Are, are, is that just mean like a concoction of what's available to create, to benefit the human body? And potion is just a word to mean mixture? I mean, honestly, yes. Yeah. So there are different types of witches, but when I say potion, I mean, it could literally be a cup of coffee. It, it could be a cup of tea, like, because everything that God made has its own associations, but also truthfully, what they really do is just act as meditative tools. One of the most important things I think anyone who is any kind of magician needs to understand is that magic doesn't come from outside of you. And I think this is where a lot of scriptures, especially the context of them, uh, is really important because they're saying like, hey, don't look at the stars because, um, you know, back in the day, people thought the stars were set in stone. That's it. Your life is written down by these stars. And the Israelites are saying, no, those are cool and they have influence, but your decisions matter. You have power, not the stars. You have the ultimate power. And so, you know, the idea in magic is that you have all the power you need. The power does not come from the rocks and the herbs and the set incense and this and that power comes from you and who, whatever god you're working with right and so you know you can do anything like that but in reality those are not even necessary hmm. you don't need anything to do magic so there's like that's interesting because i would think that obviously like potion is a more quote-unquote triggering word maybe for christians <laughs> and whatnot so i would think like if someone's like coffee's a potion i'd say like well i don't know but if you say well, there's things in Earth that God created to benefit the humans, and we can learn to harvest those and benefit the body. I'm like, yeah, of course. I'm like, like Darian and I were just talking about this the other day. Like, I was, we were talking about different medicines and stuff like that, and I was like, yeah, man. I was like, I don't trust big pharma at all. Like, I will go straight to like garlic and ginger and everything, and like mm -hmm. all because I'm like, and my belief is like, God put us on this Earth, and then we fell, and He knew we were gonna fall. So he had contingency plans to help our health. Everything we need to live a good life and be healthy is in nature, and you just got to find it. But I wouldn't say, I think that's just like being a human. I wouldn't label that as like, is that like labeled as witchcraft? Because I wouldn't call it witchcraft. Yeah, no. So there's a, there's a phrase that anyone who's responsible with witchcraft will use a lot, and it's called mundane before magic, right? Mundane before magic, uh, if you... And, you know, like, I guess another one is like, you know, if you hear hooves, think horses, not zebras, right? So, like, if you're feeling down and crappy, don't assume that someone hexed you. Assume maybe that you might have a flu and maybe a cup of, like, honey ginger tea would help you soothe your sore throat. You know? So, yeah, absolutely. Um, it's just that, like, there's like, it's like a Venn diagram, right? Where there's medicine and there's magic and they kind of really overlap. And they especially overlapped in antiquity because... They didn't have germ theory. They didn't have all these things. They just knew that, you know, illness was bad. And a lot of them assumed that illness was caused by evil spirits, which is why exorcism was so popular in the form of healing. Um, and so, yeah, there's absolutely like you can make like a potion. I mean, potion is just a fun way of calling it. Honestly, <laughs> if you just like fantasy, you can call anything a potion and you, you feel like really having fun. So I don't know. I wouldn't get spooked by the word potion. It can be just medicine, right? Like a cup of good herbal tea to help your sore throat. 
It can be literally just anything you happen to be drinking at the time. Like, you know, if you put uh, a little bit of cinnamon in your coffee, congratulations. Cinnamon's great for abundance and prosperity and, uh, you know, luck. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Do you have a question? Yeah. For you, um, going back one question before, when it comes to, like, the energy within us, right? Like you were saying, uh, like, magic is just sending the energy within us. What's the difference between that and, like, uh, our view of, like, the Holy Spirit is the power within us, right? Like, I think the New Testament says, like, that power that was given through Christ, is given to us through the Spirit of God, and then that's the power that works within us to do, like, miracles and things like that. Uh, for you, is there a difference between that and, like, the power that's within you? Does every person already have the Holy Spirit? Those kind of things. So, trying to think of, like, an analogy for it, because uh, the truth is, like, we have a lot of power on our own, but it's just a drop compared to God's, right? Like it is nothing compared to God's, but even then it's insanely powerful. It's just what we can do ourselves, but it is not all there is. So when I say that we have that within us, I do imagine there's like a little spark here, like where your soul is and that the real purpose of our magic is to use it to connect to God, right? Like we have that little connection piece and that's where you channel the really big stuff. That's where you call down the fire and that's where you do the really big like crazy, crazy magic. Um, and actually I was just talking to one of my friends yesterday who is a priest and we were talking about Simon the Magus and he was wowing people with his, uh, you know, magic, right? And everyone says, wow, this is the great power of God. And then Philip comes around and basically just one-ups him with even bigger magic. And it's like, look, right? Like this is the power of God. This is way above that. Um, and so that's kind of like, to me, explains that very well, that by yourself, you have some power. But when you really tune in and you allow that to connect you to God through the Holy Spirit, that's where the big guns come out. Interesting. Yeah, and so with that, um, around the same subject that Derry just asked, when you were talking about what magic is, you had said that this is a um, a way for people to use their energy within them to connect to their God. When you say their God, do you is the is your view that there's another like maybe people who practice like witchcraft and islam which i don't know ever that'd be more that'd be more rare than a christian witch would be a oh, muslim yeah. witch you know i'd be like wow how did they let you do that yeah they do I exist though yeah I, no, they do exist i believe it but <laughs> yeah like do you think that all witches are serving essentially the, the same force and then if that's yeah uh, yeah does that make sense no yeah um and i think so I believe, I'm, I guess I wouldn't call myself a monotheist. I would call myself a henotheist, which is the idea that all gods exist, but only God is like yeah. the one true God, right? So these other deities, I mean, and they're good, right? And they help people be their best selves too. But uh, the best way I could describe it, I was reading a book called Christians as the Romans Saw Them by Robert Lewis Wilkin. It's a very interesting book. Um, but it described how the Romans had this concept where there was this one high invisible God. And then there was like the Olympic gods, the Capitolina and all that. And then there was like uh, the visible gods, the stars and things and so on. So to me, right, it's that same idea. The only difference is where Israelites and Jewish people, right, they said, you only worship God. The Romans had this philosophy that, well, if you worship the smaller gods, it's indirectly worshiping the one high God because he created them. And, you know, lots of interesting loopy logic. But so to me, it's, any witch, really, um, they're not going to get the best benefit out of their power. 
like a, a theistic witch anyway, they're not going to get the best benefit of their power if they're ignoring their gods, whether they are Muslim, whether they're Norse, Celtic, uh, it doesn't matter. Um, your gods or God is there to really, you know, guide you, give you that power. Could there be witches that are like in like wars, but like in battles with each other? Like if these deities are at odds with each other, or let's say like if Yahweh is like at the top of the spectrum, then and all these other like little gods that he created are giving other people power. Can there be opposition there? How does that work? Oh no, absolutely. I mean, this is kind of why. Um, like, God does not seem to really give a damn about any other deities outside of this area. But you ask him about Ball, and he's just like, "Listen, you know, like because they have beef, right? There's a history there." Um, for and I have friends that uh, they work with King Asmodeus, and that's great, but. I can't really bring myself to talk to King Asmodeus because if you've read the book of Tobit, I'm on Raphael's side, right? Raphael was there with the fish guts and scaring him away from that lady whose husbands he kept murking, right? So I wouldn't be able to talk to him probably civilly because I'd be like, you were wrong for that. Raphael is right. And then it would be a whole mess. But there's absolutely beef. Like you can't put Raphael and Asmodeus in the same room because of that because they will flip out. <laughs> like, there's just history. Um, but otherwise, uh, the truth is that a lot of the, like these gods really don't care um, as much, honestly. And like even God, like I remember some of the, even the Egyptian deities, I was like, oh, no, are they going to not like because I have actually I don't know, I'm speaking a lot of the context. I have a series called Interview with the Gods where I actually work with whoever works with them and I channel them to get their side of the story to learn more about them. And it's so interesting. I've learned so much from it. But you know, I was worried, is God going to have beef with the Egyptian gods because Exodus? Because, right? No, neither of them really cared. Old news. They don't They don't mind anymore. But there was absolutely magic fights back in the day. In fact, my Bible, um, I read the Jewish annotated New Testament, and there's an essay in the back all about Second Temple uh, magic, right, and miracle. And it mentioned how rabbis and witches would not only, like, fight with each other, which is a lovely mental image. It makes me think of, like, rabbis and witches shooting fireballs at each other. But also, witches would teach rabbi spells. So it was a big kind of cycle, right? Hmm. Interesting. Never heard that before. Yeah. So I guess and my, my question is, like, what is the purpose? Because every religion pretty much has a purpose, right? What is in witchcraft, at least in your experience of witchcraft, the purpose of all these practices and the goal of what you're doing? Um. Yeah, so this is kind of, I guess we'll have to back up and talk about like witchcraft versus ceremonial magic or like low magic versus high magic, right? So there's this idea that, you know, ceremonial magic, which is quite Abrahamic actually, uh, like Hermetic Order, the Golden Dawn, uh, you got Agrippa, you've got all these like high class occultists who were kind of like super Christian, but also the fathers of modern occultism. Um, their whole thing was doing all these esoteric you know, ideas and principles specifically to get closer to God, to connect to God. Um, and you can also see this a lot in uh, Jewish Kabbalah, right? This idea that there are spheres of the tree of life. and You got to kind of climb up them and master them to get to the top where God is. So, you know, that's a high magic thing where you dedicate your whole life to studying these principles so that you can become enlightened, so that you can like be one or with God, you can meet God, you can understand the universe and then there's low magic which is witchcraft which is literally like i need money so i'm gonna go like put cinnamon and basil in a bowl 
and I'm going to ask God to bless it. And yay, we need money. That's all. That's all the point of that is there's no higher purpose. It's literally just I'm broke and I need help, you know? Mm-hmm. Interesting. So it depends on what you're trying to gotcha. get out of it. So that's, yeah, there's the whole world that I'm, I don't subscribe to. So I have so many questions about uh, so many things. Um, do you guys, do you specifically believe that Jesus is the creator God? Oh boy. That's, I mean, I go, I asked Jesus directly this and he would not give me a straight answer. And I think there was a point to that. And I'm just like, okay. Um, I grew up believing that he, like Jesus is just God in a flesh suit, right? That like Jesus is the literal son of God and all that. I look at it, the mom, like, Maybe he was just adopted. That was one of the things that my New Testament put forward. He was anointed. He was adopted the way kings adopt, you know, sons to be part of the royal family. Maybe. Um, maybe I have friends who think he was just an ascended master and he had nothing to do with, you know, being the literal son or anything. I'm at the point where I don't know and I don't care to know. It really doesn't matter one way or the other to me. So would you say you believe in the Trinity or not really? I, I think so. I, I love the philosophical concept of the Trinity. I love what it means and what it would mean for God to operate in that way. So I still like at least loosely ascribe to that because um, I don't know if you guys have ever read uh, Jürgen Moltmann's The Crucified God, but the thesis he puts forward in that. Oh, God, it's so it's it's dense, but it's so good. But basically, I love it because it's the idea that by Jesus dying and Jesus, like God, the son screaming in agony at God, the father. It shows that God is in solidarity with us. He loves us so much that he didn't abandon us here. He died and suffered with us, right? So right. I love that idea. And so I still hold on to that very much. Interesting. So would you hold to, like, that Jesus is God, but maybe he's just not, like, the, the creator God, like Ethan said? Um, do you hold, like, the, all three of the persons of the Trinity are all distinct persons in one being, but all God kind of thing is our nuance there? I would I would say probably more three and one. I think of it like um, if you know like Greek gods have epithets, right? Which is like um, say you have like I, I can't remember the Greek, but basically what her one of Hermes's epithets is friend of man. And so when you call on not just Hermes but specifically that epithet, it means that you're calling on that friendly aspect, right? Um, and so to me, it's kind of the same way where if you're calling on God, the son, you're coming in contact with a very different, uh, side of God than if you call on God, the father, um, you know, so they kind of act autonomously, but they are hmm. the same being right. Like different shreds of consciousness. Interesting. Yeah. So it seems like it takes a different approach to the Trinity than maybe the classical Christian view where you look at, like you said, Jesus is like, you're calling on the epithet of Yahweh where he is like that part of the son. That sounds a little bit like modalism, if you know what that is. Um, but would you say that, yeah, your view of the Trinity is not that Jesus is equal with the Father and the Father is equal with the Holy Spirit and they're three distinct? Um, I just kind of, I just kind of view them all as like the same because again, I do, I do still, I kind of waffle, right? Because again, at the end of the day, I don't think. I remember Jesus very distinctly saying, whatever helps you get closer to God, that's how you should see me, right? Whether it says an ascended master, whether it's his son of God, doesn't really matter. So I'm like, okay, I guess it doesn't really matter. Um, but for me, I do think that it's like, again, it's it's like a diamond, right? Where you have many different sides, but it's all one diamond. So I'm not going to say one side of the diamond is lesser or more than the other. It's all one diamond. Hmm. 
did does the gospels inform your decision in in this view because i would say that pretty clearly jesus is revealed to be equal with god and he says like you know no one can come to the father except through me but that means that like you can't have that relationship with the creator god unless you accept jesus as the creator god um to me that's not well first i mean i have a lot of mixed feelings about that line because i'm like it only shows up like one time it shows up in john and then on top of that it doesn't like i understand that as jesus being again fully divine and fully human so it's hard to go directly to god because god is fully divine and there's not a touch of human and that's why it's actually very hard also <laughs> to work with the angels uh say for say metatron or sandalfon who were thought to be humans first the angels kind of don't get us they don't understand us they don't know why we do what we do and so it's very hard to talk to them because they just they see the they see the solution so clearly and we are just sitting here playing in the mud like children they don't get why so in that sense jesus being fully divine and fully human that's why to me that verse says he's saying hey i'm the mediator i get both sides i understand so i can translate that human side to this divine and this divine to that human and you guys can we can all work it out together so when i say uh, god when I'm praying, I'm always saying God, Jesus, and Holy Spirit. Like it's always like a three package deal for me. Hmm. What verse were you saying was only in John? Um, the one about only like I'm the way, yeah. the truth, and life through me. I think yeah. that. Yeah, I mean, there's other, there's tons of scriptures in the synoptics of Jesus alluding to because he he was. I just made a TikTok about this that made a lot of people mad on Instagram, um, <laughs> but talking about how Jesus did claim to be God, you know, in a very elusive manner you know if he outright said i am god yeah, they exactly. would have killed him immediately but he does get to the point where the sanhedrin i think it was was finally like who are you and he's like do you say that you're god or whatever And he's like i am and that was alluding to when he got yahweh revealed himself as i am to moses and they said what need what further need do we have to question him this man is blasphemous and that's why they kill him you know ultimately the crux of why they killed jesus is because he was saying i am yahweh you know, and it was he when it got to the point where it was yeah. it was time for him to be arrested. He just flat out said it. He's like, "Yeah, I'm Yahweh," and that, that's why they killed him. Well, oh, see, I read the gospel very differently when I read it. I, I read that as very much as him being like, "Say whatever you want." You know, uh, the only time we can get even close, I think, is when Peter says, "You're the son of God," and Jesus says, oh, congrats! Like you did it." You know, that's kind of that's the only part of the gospel I've read where I can really say definitively that Jesus is like. Yeah, but even then, he never actually says it with his own mouth. And I do think he does that on purpose, not just because he'll be mm. killed, but because there's a deeper, there's like, it's elusive for a reason, mm -hmm. I think. I don't know. There's Most scholars agree that. that that point when he's talking to the Sanhedrin is him saying that he's God, like in the clearest sense that he can, because it's the exact same phrase as in the Hebrew that Yahweh says um, yeah. in the Old Testament when he says, I am. Um, it's a pretty clear. Yeah, there's word. another part where, and I think maybe I want to say it's Mark where. Jesus said something, and then a quotation says, thus declaring to be God. You know, also when he heals the, or he, he forgives someone of sins, and they're like, why are you forgiving sins? And he's like, well, what's easier to say? The parallel. Oh, yeah. yeah he's like, what's easier yeah. to say that, like, either yeah. you're forgiven or be healed, but so you know that the Son of Man has power both to heal on the Sabbath or whatever. He's like, be healed right. and walk. And so for them, they're like, only Yahweh can heal he, or forgive. He can't forgive. And so that's another way where he's like, yeah, he's like winking like, yeah, I'm him. And that's like the the whole point of the gospel, right? Is that like how you were saying you have like, or we all, you said like humans have this like energy in them to commune with God. I would say that like, you know, our view is that 
I, I think that we were created to have relationship with God, but that only happens through the Holy Spirit residing in us. And we only get that because we repent of our sins and follow him. Because the reason I ask, like, what's the the big overall point of witchcraft or, or Wicca is because I'm curious. I'm like, what is the goal that we're working towards? Is it like a better life? Is it having health? Because I would say that's all good and it is valid. But there's a point where it's like at the, when when this life is over, there's going to come a a time where we pass on to the next life and what is witchcraft unto unto the next life every religion in the world is like like islam is like we're unto like heaven christianity and judaism is unto heaven uh hinduism is unto the one and B- buddhism is unto the grand nothingness you know so for that it's like that's where it's confusing with the witchcraft stuff is like i know that like the purpose of my life is to commune with god for the purpose unto salvation and heaven eternal life with god but what is the what is the parallel in witchcraft to that? If that makes sense. Yeah. No. Actually. Um. And for me, this comes to the idea that uh, I'm not worried about the afterlife. I'll cross that bridge when I get there. Is my biggest thing. Um. And actually, it was someone. There's someone on TikTok, uh, Miriam, uh, she's an Orthodox hmm. Jewish woman. And one of my favorite things she says is like, "I don't live for the next life. I live for this life." Right. Like, what's the point of fussing and worrying about the next life? We're here right now, and we're doing hmm. this right now. And a lot of the Christian theological scripture uh, and like, you know, the scholarship and things like that, what I come to the conclusion is that we're not supposed to just sit here and wallow and languish and just wait for not, the yeah. next world where everything right. is great. We're supposed to make, we got to make this world great. We got to make heaven happen here on earth. So for me, it's like, I don't know, people are like, oh, but be saved. I'm like, yeah, 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 yeah. Forget all that. I don't really care about all that. I don't care about this. Oh, I'm going to be saved. Whatever. That's not my concern. My concern is this world. Mm-hmm. Right now, people are suffering and dying. They're being hurt. Can we do something about this now? And when I die, then I'll look at Big Man and I'll say, okay, how'd I do? Like, yeah. I don't spend a lot of time thinking about where I'm going to go when I die. I don't To really that care. point, I think that, like you said something like, I care about this world and making this world better. I think that is a valid point that I think Christians should do a better job at, as God mm-hmm. says that, like, we're to steward this earth. And it doesn't, the Bible says that he'll make a new earth, yes, but that could mm-hmm. be also, like, remaking this earth right it, no matter what we have the command to steward the earth right all over the scripture the bible says that like heaven is the abode of god but earth is the abode of man and the righteous will inherit the earth forever and so there's this illusion that like this earth probably isn't going away it'll be redeemed most likely but it's not like it's everything's gonna like there's that picture in revelation where it says that everything was rolled up and redone i think that could be like uh, imagery to say like this sinful age is passing away this earth is now being redeemed, but hu- I, I believe that humans are going to be on a form of Earth with God forever, and and our job is to steward the universe. And so I think there's part of that which is valid, but I I would that's kind of a interesting perspective of like, hey, I'll just worry about that when I get there. Because yeah, does is there? It doesn't seem like there's assurance in that. You know what I mean? Oh, well, I mean. To me, this is the point of faith, mm-hmm. right? I mean, a lot of people say, like, oh, if you believe in Jesus, it's all you need, which I'm kind of like, mm-hmm. I mean, I really like the old, old, like, old Catholic idea of Christus Victor, right? Mm-hmm. Where Jesus, uh, he came back and therefore he destroyed the devil and the hell is no longer even there. And therefore, like, everybody, um, when you die, you maybe spend up to a year in, like, soul school, basically, in purgatory, learning what you did wrong. But then everybody's the same. I like that idea a lot because, I mean, it just makes sense, right? Like hell is a concept but it's not meant to be like a place where people actually spend forever and ever i feel like this has absolutely been used as a fear tactic especially because like a lot of jewish scholars can't really agree Mm. on whether or not there's hell or not 
And in my mind, um, I've seen the infernal realms. They don't really, you know, I mean, you know, it's scarier heaven, the, the lake of fire that's in heaven. So I don't know. For me, it's just like, I'm not going to worry about it. I'm just going to listen to what God wants me to do now and focus on what I'm doing now. And if he has a problem, he mm-hmm. will tell me. Like, that's where faith comes in for me. I don't need assurance about where I'm going. I just, I'm holding his hand and he'll tell me if I'm mm. screwed up or not. That's it, it seems like, just to push back a little bit, like there was nobody in scripture, especially like in Luke, that's more concerned with the justice of people than Christ, right? There's the whole image of the upside down kingdom that Christ talks about in Luke, mm-hmm. where he's like, he flips all of the narratives of the oppressed and the oppressors on their heads, right? And the poor and the rich and all these kind of things. Um, but he also preaches about salvation constantly, yeah. right? And so Christ like cares about both seemingly equally throughout the Gospels. Mm. Um, so it seems like to me like we should care about both as well because it seems like the means that Christ talks about um, people coming to know justice and coming to um, an understanding of how the kingdom of God should work as an upside down kingdom where the roles were reversed is by entering that kingdom by being saved and by knowing God. And so it seems like the the very beginning of justice and all these things from Christ's perspective is that salvation and maybe. It's a perspective shift of like, you're not like waiting to get there someday. Like as soon as you're saved, you enter the kingdom of God, you enter the kingdom of heaven that's here on earth. And now you're a fan of justice and and all these kind of things. Mm -hmm. What do you think about that? Um, have you guys ever heard of Thecla and the acts of Paul and Thecla? Mm -hmm. St. Thecla. Oh my God. I will, I will fight everybody for Thecla because anyway, so right. Um, this is the story of the woman stuck at the window, like a spider for three days. Paul comes into this town, starts preaching to everyone. Oh, hey, um, y'all should stay virgins. You all should never get married. And she was about to get, but did she really want to? Mm, I don't know. So she's sitting there listening to Paul um, to the point that her fiance's freaked out, her mother's freaked out, um, to the point that they actually have Paul thrown in jail for witchcraft, for bewitching her into not wanting to get married, and also uh, have her burned at the stake. But she doesn't get burned. She makes a sign of the cross. The rain comes and douses the fire. She cuts her hair to look like a man, dresses like a man, runs after Paul and says, let me follow you. At this point, Paul refuses to baptize her. He doesn't think she's ready. She offends the king of this area, this like minor king, gets thrown into the pit with the lions and everything else, um, and doesn't get eaten. The lioness fights for her. And then she goes into the pool full of sea lions, and she baptizes herself. She saves herself. She anoints herself. Um, and so for me, this idea of, oh, salvation, yeah, I'm sure Jesus cares about it, but salvation is not something we obtain outside ourselves. Salvation is something we come into when we really come into that faith and we really come into that uh, that trust in God, I think. Hmm. So Then wouldn't it be God that's that. saving us, not ourselves, though? Because you said that salvation comes from within ourselves. Right. So it's it's that reciprocal. It's like a cyclical like relationship, right? So Thecla makes that decision to baptize herself and she didn't need Paul's permission. She didn't need anything. She just made that decision. She dips herself into that water. I am baptized. And then the sea lions come to eat her and they all burst into flames. So it's an amazing story. I love that story so much. But the point is, I mean, when you decide that you're walking with God, that's it. You know, so it's not like a a big thing. You got to, that's what I'm saying. You don't really got to worry about it. It's not like something where it's like, oh, our salvation. Like, yeah, if you are screwing off i guess but you'll find your way back like you have your whole life to find your way back it's not like you got to do it or else you know yeah i guess what we're trying to get at is that i think the orthodox christian view is that 
the the purpose of Christianity is primarily like a right relationship with God, and that produces a better earth for all of humanity. Like if every Christian followed the commands of God, this world would look a lot better, you know. And so the but the primary purpose is repentance and God and forgiveness and entering God's kingdom, and then the byproduct of that is all the justice that is good, and so. The reason that we're concerned with this and like kind of talking about it is because we believe that the only way to that salvation, the only way to eternal life is through following seriously the commands of Jesus and, and seeing what he said when he said, like, late, like, if anyone wants to come after me, he must pick up his cross and follow me. And it's like we have to die to everything that we want to be true, everything we think is true and say, OK, God, I surrender to your way and that's revealed in Scripture and I'm going to follow that. And from this conversation, you know, would it be fair to say that you don't hold the classical Christian view of the deity of Christ and the Trinity? Um, again, this is where, like, I still traditionally do, I think, but more just because I don't bother with the brain space to really think about it, just because at the end of the day, Jesus is Jesus, and he's very important to me, no matter who he is. If someone said definitively, I can prove he's not the son of God, that wouldn't matter to me. He's still Jesus. So that's why I don't really put a lot of weight in the question. I do still think that absolutely, if everyone followed Jesus's like law and like his, what he put forth and also God's law, because God's law makes a lot of sense, um, if they follow these things, we'd have a much better world. But the problem is what people think God's law is varies wildly. So, you know, when people say all these horrible things to each other in the name of God, it's kind of like, hey, guys, what are we what are we doing? You know? So to me, yeah, I agree with you guys 100%, absolutely. Uh, by following the ways of Christ and by God, we can make a pretty kick-ass world. Um, and so, and is Jesus the literal son of God? Is he an ascended master? Is he an adopted son of God? Who cares? Like literally, who cares? It does not matter because the point is he's still there chosen by God to deliver this message. Hmm. As a, uh, you have any other questions real fast? Um, no, not As we're getting to like the end of the show, would you want to go through some of the passages that you think like Christians will mistake when talking about uh, bushcraft and stuff like that? Oh yeah, <laughs> I got a laundry list, but I'll, I'll start with some of my my favorites. Um, I am actually writing uh, a book with a friend right now that you know I've had a lot of outside sources. Like uh, again, my my friend who's a priest, he gave me like here's a list of sources if you want to talk about this. Blah blah. But we are basically trying to make an introductory resource for Christian witches, which to me is just anyone who, you know, likes nature and also does not jive with the hellfire you'll burn and die in nastiness that is in a lot of really wonky, messed up churches. And so this book we're going through, I'm actually writing this section right now about these verses. Um, and the main one that always gets thrown first is Exodus 22:18, right? Thou shall not suffer which to live. Uh, and this one could be a whole thesis in itself. But this one, the word used for which, and this is why it's important to know the Hebrew and the Greek, uh, the word is mechashepa. And that is a word that comes from Sumerian kashapu, most likely. It's a word that refers to magicians on the outside, specifically ones that were thought to hurt, hex, bring demons, bring destruction and misfortune, right? Because... Sumer and Babylon had their own court magicians and they had their own official priests and things going on. And these laymen who were doing stuff on the outside were dangerous. They were causing problems. They were taking money to just hex people. So that's where that word really is coming in in Exodus. It's not banning all magic. It's specifically banning like uh, socially destructive 
and problematic and uh, hierarchy destroying magic, right? Like if you go into a church, you can't just like kick the priest off the pulpit, start preaching yourself because otherwise the whole church will fall apart. So that one right away is like very specifically about harmful magic, disruptive magic. Um, other ones, I believe in Leviticus, right? Leviticus, the same thing, divination. It's specifically referring to a practice called Alvin Yidani, where you put the bone of an animal in your mouth, you get really high, and then you channel the spirit of whatever animal that, that bone belonged to to tell you whatever it is you want to know. Hmm. Obviously, why would you do that when you could just ask God? <laughs> like, you know, so it's specific practices that are banned. It's not all magic together. <laughs> so it would either be like certain practices or... Um maybe witches or witchcraft outside of like the the realm of witchcraft that was okay for Jews, basically, from your view. Yeah, because if you look at Leviticus 14, like that's a whole ritual, literal, actual ritual given uh, to the Levite priests to cure people of leprosy, where you have one bird and another bird. You kill one bird, you dip the other bird in its blood, and then you use cedar, hyssop, and red thread, and on this person, you sprinkle them seven times with the blood. I mean, if I describe that with no context... That would sound pretty hardcore magic. That would sound pretty wild. But again, magic, miracle, and medicine were synonymous in antiquity. So they didn't have germ theory. They didn't know what leprosy was. They just said, okay, if I do these certain amount of steps, it'll go away and you'll be ritually pure again and it'll be fine, right? So that's those kinds of things that I'm talking about. Same thing mm -hmm. when people say divination is bad, tarot cards are bad. Well, God specifically commanded the priests to use Urim and Thummim, which were basically like... From the way my Bible describes it in the scholarly footnotes, it's like having us two stones in your pocket that say one says yes and one says no. You ask God a question, you pull one out. Because mm -hmm. God was the king, right? So there was no king, not until David. So they had God. And sometimes, you know, you can butt heads all you want about scripture. Sometimes you don't really have a clear answer. That's when you literally turn around and ask God what to do. And that's what that device was for. That's divination. So that was okay, but obviously cutting the liver out of a living animal and discerning that way was very much not okay, like in two Chronicles. That's what's being referred to there. Mm -hmm. So, and even in the New Testament, right? Um, you got Galatians where they talk about sorceries. The word being used there in Greek is pharmakeia. Pharmakeia had a lot of subtext of drugs, right? Pharmacy, pharmakeia. So specifically, especially the Romans, they had this thing, they would smear drugs on their eyes and then they would trip really hard and they would see their gods come through in this blinding swath of light. That's kind of the stuff Pharmakeia is talking about. You know, it's about drug abuse, especially in a ritual context. It's about hurting people, right? Poisoning people. And that plus things like Goes, which is what forms Goetia, is about fraud specifically. Cheating people out of money by telling them all these fancy things with magic. So a lot of people who fortune tell just to grift and get money, they fall under that. Mm -hmm. What would be your view of like uh, Saul uh, doing a divination? And was it Moses or Abraham they brought Samuel. up? Samuel. Samuel. Yeah, yeah. I just read it. And he got all oh, that. For yeah, him. again. That, yeah, that's a very specific practice. And first of all, there's so many layers to that because how dare he ban the practice, then go under the cover of night to that woman and demand her risk her life for the law he put down? He's a hypocrite. Yeah, First of all, Saul wasn't of all. a good guy. No one thinks that Saul was a good yeah. guy. But you know, so but like there are so many layers as to why that's a problem. Um, and also like again, it's a very it's a pagan practice of calling that spirit up. Um, you know, and I don't I think some of the context was that she wasn't she said, I see gods rising from
on the ground, she wasn't expecting to see a human soul, which means she was used to working with either Ginny or like, you know, little demons or little spirits or things. She wasn't used to seeing a person. Uh, and especially in Judaism, the idea was that you kind of go to sleep, right? And show. Right. So yeah. Samuel's like, why am I being like disturbed? Right. Like, do not disturb me. You know, so there's so many layers as to what went wrong there. Interesting. So for the portions of the New Testament, would you say it's the same thing where like an axe, they call people to um, repentance and they're burning all of their uh, like magic books and stuff like that? Oh, my God. I was just talking about this with, with my priest. Right? Oh, this is so great. Um, we actually looked at the Septuagint and the Greek there and um, the word they're using is like periergos, which only shows up one other time in the New Testament, and that's in Timothy. And it's to talk about people who have literally nothing to do with their time except go around meddling in people's business, gossiping, and making nonsense. So those magic books, we were we were saying to ourselves, like, are those books or are they like tabloids? Are they like just like notes full of gossip and this and that? And, like maybe this works and maybe it doesn't, right? So those magic books is really just books full of garbage, honestly, books full of stuff that like doesn't actually work and full of meddlesome, stupid, troublesome stuff. Meanwhile, Philip pulls up with the good stuff and yells at Simon. They yell at Simon for trying to buy it with money, right? That was another part um, in the, when we talk about Simon and Philip. So that's, that's quite literally um, a lot of what it boils down to is a lot of uh, these magics, they were either fraud, charlatanry, um, they were just like literally Houdini-esque tricks they weren't real power and that's what the apostles were able to show off hmm. interesting are you pulling the verse up yeah i'm looking for it yeah um yeah so with the translation of just that that word was there any more things in the commentary that it said about that because i kind of worry about just like changing the the definition of a word that a whole bunch of scholars like decided to translate it a certain way you know what i mean no, yeah, and this is, like, when I look at the things, it was very much, um, like, when I, like, I have, like, all the foot, sometimes my Bible's, like, a very small bit of scripture, and the rest is just footnotes, but, um, yeah, no, it was specifically about, like, they couldn't, with whatever magic they had, they couldn't get rid of this problem, and so it wasn't until these other apostles showed up that they were like, hey, guys, you are kind of silly, uh, here's real power, check this out, um, and so then they fixed the problem, so these other guys were like, damn, our stuff sucks, our stuff sucks and so they burned it all because what good is it right it reminds me very much of the story of saint cyprian of antioch which is you know, actually similar i don't know if you guys know that story but you don't uh, think they burned it because they were there was like a revelation of like oh like jesus is the one who has power we don't need this anymore this is actually not something that we should be practicing let's repent and that was an act of repentance i mean i feel like that's kind of what i said they realized their magic sucks they realize their magic don't work not like that magic so they're like dang why am i gonna like use the stuff that doesn't work and it's useless when i could have that you know when i could leave everything that i thought and follow that mm -hmm. i guess i just wouldn't consider the power of the holy spirit working people's lives as witchcraft or magic i mean but if you if that's the terminology uh, then we can use that terminology listen honestly there's a whole thing about like like the gospels go out of their way to try and differentiate Jesus's work from magic. When in reality, Mark's gospel is especially the tell all because Mark's gospel is using tropes that anyone familiar with Greek magical spells would be able to identify. Jesus is very much like bar for bar using that playbook with the Greek magic. If you look at Mark. So it's kind of like the idea that magic and miracle were so separate is really just a bunch of crap. Honestly, they, they, 
all it depends on is who you're doing it through. And so if you're doing it through God, yeah, you're going to blow everyone else out of the water. But it's all basically the same playbook. Interesting. So then in your view, uh, it, would, it would be every time like the Bible outlaws, um, just to get like a kind of a clear, like full picture, every time the Bible has a verse about magic or magic practices or magic books and stuff like that, it's outlying it or disaffirming it or whatever, it would be magic that's outside of the power of the Holy Spirit or magic that's attributed to other gods, done by other gods, done by other deities, by demons, um, and those kind of things. And then when it's affirmed, they use the terminology for like miracle or work of the Holy Spirit or gift of the Spirit or something like that. Yeah. So in essence, when people when people see the word magic and witchcraft as being condemned, they, they are seeing passages that had to do with very specific pagan practices, ones that were fraudulent, harmful, or just straight up like pagan. Mm. Like maybe there's nothing wrong with it, but it's just not what the Israelites are supposed to do because they're supposed to be separate. That's fine. Um, but in the end, there was plenty of examples of magic that was allowed. Um, you know, so the problem is people go to do all kinds of mental gymnastics and semantics to say that miracle is not magic when they kind of they kind of are the same. Um, but yeah, any verse like the power says, structure oh, for sure. Like it's maybe there yeah, isn't a difference. Like, like one is done through one deity, and to us, it seems like won't like our like magic, which is not like what I would call it, but it's like just the power of the Holy Spirit. And we can do the same thing yeah. that like other uh, witches or magicians or whatever can do, right? And even more powerful things. Um, and so it's all it's right. all just power exactly. kind of in the same plane, and we're just using different words. Um, but it, it seems like it seems like in the Bible, it's outlawing like practices that are like other nations, ways of getting power that are not through God, right? Um, and that we should be like getting our power from Yahweh, um, right, and using it in that way and. And the, the right. terminology is kind yeah, of like and you... back and forth there of like what we should say and the words we should say and stuff like that. But the Old Testament especially is clear, like we aren't supposed to look um, or act like the other nations so that our, our power is not attributed to them, like to their gods and stuff. Right. Yep. right? Um, so I think, yeah, I think half of it is just God saying, give me credit. Like, yeah. like, don't kid yourself is what God saying. Like, no, no, like, no. Let people know. That's me. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. And so actually Isaiah 819 is to this point um, where he says like, you know, these people who chirp and mutter for to the dead. Should you not look to your God instead? Like, that's, to me, that validates me as a Christian witch because, yeah, I don't do these weird, like, divination practices. I don't ask spirits outside of God. If I really need life advice or I need, like, where am I going? What am I doing? I'm asking God. I'm not asking anybody else. Hmm. Yeah. Um, the, the point I was kind of getting to, that I would love to hear your opinion on, is, like, if people, or if Christ, if Yahweh wanted uh, like the credit for the power that's going out from him when people are are doing not magic but like sonomous words right miracles stuff like that um and he doesn't want it attributed to anyone else wouldn't using like a term that's so like culturally charged like witch or witchcraft and stuff sort of be doing that because i don't think anyone thinks of like christian or yahweh when they think of like magic being done um I, I see your point, but to me, that's exactly why I do it, because of that subversive element. Mm -hmm. um, it reminds me of that 2 Corinthians verse, using the weak to shame the strong and using the uh, foolish to shame the wise, right? Where it's like, you don't expect God to show up here. Joke's on you. He's everywhere, including the places you don't think you're going to find him. So I use Christian witch. I use magic because it's very much like, yup, 
This is the same stuff in a different font. Magic Miracle, it's the same thing, just with a different suit on. So when you see that, you realize that, oops, uh, this is actually what I'm doing. I can acknowledge it now. And I can acknowledge that, you know, there's a lot of hubris in saying, oh, I'm not like those witches. I'm not, I'm doing holy magic. Like, don't kid yourself. You're still doing magic, you know? Interesting. Hmm. Uh, last little question that I have that's off topic, then maybe I have other questions. Yeah. Um, we were talking <laughs> way, way back about what is scripture and what is scripture. Would you take like the, all of the Gnostic gospels to be scripture or outside of scripture, um, all of that kind of stuff? Because I know you reference them a lot. The Apocrypha, the Gnostic Gospels, um, or would you kind of just take it all as like if it says something that's in line with the character of God I know, then I'll take it as scripture. If it doesn't, then I won't. That kind of a thing. Yeah, I, I definitely like the Gnostic Gospels are really interesting. Some of them go off the rails. The, the Gospel of Judas goes like straight off into Crazy right. Town. Um, that's where I'm kind of like, hold on. So that's where that's where I'm like, God, what the hell is that? Right? And he's just like, that. Don't look at me. Um, but you know, so really, and like, again, does it hurt innocent people? The gospel of Judas hurts Jewish people. It hurts Jewish people by insisting that Yahweh is this fake uh, demiurge that actually wants to kill all of humanity. And the real God is, you know, that's really anti-Semitic. So that's why I look at that gospel and I'm like, hmm, who wrote that? You know? Right. Hmm. Makes sense. Yeah, just an observation I've made. And I don't want to come off like, I just want to push back on a point that it seems like you, you made, but I don't want to like be rude but i want to just push back on something um no, no, go ahead. yeah you're fine so you had said earlier how like and you just kind of said now like anything that doesn't like anything that hurts the innocent is i don't believe is from god therefore i reject it so like um timothy you're like timothy's probably not inspired by god not scripture not gonna look at it because it says the whole thing about women um but then you also when it comes to the witchcraft stuff interpret it through a certain lens that fits your your thing, your your perspective, and you're saying, oh, but that witchcraft thing, you can't. You have to look more in context, as to dig deeper and see what the context is, and then you arrive at your conclusion, and it's actually okay. It seems like you're you're looking into context for the witchcraft in ways that benefit your view, but when it comes to stuff that quote unquote hurts the innocent, it doesn't seem like you're applying the same critical view of looking in the context and being okay with it and still calling it scripture. Because if you decide that you think Timothy is not scripture because it says women should be silent in the church, but you decide witchcraft's okay because the context of the witchcraft part right here is you have to understand this nature and this type of witchcraft's okay. It, it seems like that's not, uh, you're not looking at it through the same lens. And Does that make sense? No, no, yeah, and I hear you. And that's the thing, though, is when, when Paul, like in Corinthians, he basically says uh, some very similar thing as in Timothy, but like, I do understand that context. I understand he was very specifically speaking to this one church that for some reason, like the women just would not shut up. And he was like, please tell your woman to shut up because, oh my God, we cannot get on with service if you keep doing that. Um, so I understand that. Um, my thing is like knowing that Timothy's origins are a little dubious has me being like, and again, not just that. My point is also the way people use scripture today. Like I understand these contexts of these verses and that's why it's double frustrating when I see people use them to say what Paul never said. Paul never said all women should shut up five ever. He said specifically this church needs to cool it. But people have used that passage just like they've used Paul to justify slavery in the era of slavery, right? I would never say that Paul, knowing the context of who he was, what he believed and where he was coming from, would say that, yeah, um, American slavery was great. Like, I don't think Paul wanted his words to be used that way, right? right. right? His, so I absolutely acknowledge that there is a lot of context, but that's my problem is that people don't know that context. And so they've used 
Paul's verses to read them to their slaves and say, yep, therefore obey me. If you've ever read Jesus and the Disinherited by Howard Thurman, he goes over exactly that, how his grandmother didn't ever want to hear those words spoken again from Corinthians because they were used. They were said to her every Sunday to make her be okay with being enslaved on the plantations. Mm -hmm. Right. Like, so that's very much where it's like, okay, we can know the context all we want, but when people abuse it anyway, this is the biggest problem. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I don't have any more questions to you. Um, well, I do have a verse I want to get your perspective on, but it's, it comes off very fundamentalist, like almost all, it just comes off like it's very direct and it's like, oh man, that's kind of rough. But I do think it's important to talk about and extrapolate and get your view on. So, um, I hope you don't get upset. Is it okay if we talk about it? No, yeah, yeah. go ahead. So go Revelation ahead. 21, 8. It says, um, but the cowardly, the unbelieving, the vile, the murderers, the sexually immoral, those who practice magic arts, the idolaters, and all liars will be consigned to the fiery lake of burning sulfur. This is the second death. And so with that, it seems like, doesn't, it doesn't seem like magical arts are permitted by scripture. What is, what is your take on that? So, okay, I'm so glad you brought up this verse, because I think this was the first, like, I've had people say to me, <laughs> You need to, you don't need man, you don't need scholarship, you don't need any of that. You just need the leading of the Holy Spirit to read, right? Mm -hmm. And I remember, so the first version of that that I saw, instead of magical arts, it said sorceries. Mm -hmm. And just the way that the, and actually I have a joke, I'm like, only English majors are going to heaven because only English majors know how to close read, I guess. But um, so like when you look at the text and you look at the way it's written and the way it sounds, I remember reading that and it was like someone hit me in the head with a hammer and I was like, they're talking about tricks. They're talking about deceits, which is like, and actually then I went and looked at the Greek and it's once again, it's pharmakos, right? Mm -hmm. Those who practice magic arts, pharmakos. So we're back into that pharmacy word, right? That, uh, that magic drug abusing mess word, but it's specifically there to also have connotations this time of fraud. So that's why I'm just, I don't know. That, well, that don't, it doesn't say fraud me. here. I have the blue letter Bible pulled up um, and looking at the Greek and it, it says outline of biblical usage, one version is one who prepares or uses magical remedies, and one says sorcerer, right? And yeah, it is pharma, right. pharmacos, um, and yeah, it has the same connotation as the pharmakia, but it seems like this is basically just someone who's using spell-giving potions, drugs, to be fair, also. Um, but yeah, what do you think about that? You know, again, I definitely think that, like, when you, when you know the context of what sorcery was considered, especially in the time of Revelation, um, First of all, I mean, pagan sorcerers and like Jewish and Christian miracle workers alike would sling accusations of magic at each other, which is very funny to think about, but they would sling accusations of magic at each other to discredit each other. So there's that. There's also, um, again, right, pharmacos, all of those things I already described about pharmakeia. And then there is the issue that sorcery, specifically sorcery, um, especially in the Roman era, meant magic that was antisocial. It meant magic that was not, it was private, right? It was not the public proper way of worship. It was not the proper way of invoking anything. It was just fraudulent, stupid nonsense. And so whenever, again, when we find these words and we find this sorcery, it really means just anything that is not official, anything that is janky, anything that is like harmful and fraudulent and all these things, especially when you realize that there was a lot of like poo flinging between pagans and Christians of the same topic in the first place. So. All these verses are just, to me, they just tell a long story 
about how Christians were trying so hard to separate themselves from the pagans who were like, you're doing the same thing we're doing. What are you, what are you talking about? You know? Interesting. All right. Yeah. And that's what I'm, I'm satisfied with questions. Yeah. Have- Is there anything you want to plug or say at the end or anything like that? Oh, you said you have a, a book uh, nah, and stuff. I think- I mean, yeah, I, I like to write fantasy. So if cool. anyone likes high fantasy enemies to lovers romance, that is also on my website um, and it's out there. Uh, but otherwise, yeah, no, again, TikTok, YouTube, Twitter, Instagram. Those are all the places you can find me. Um, I gave up arguing for Lent, so I, I cannot argue until um, <laughs> until April. So, but, you know. That's awesome. <laughs> That's awesome. Cool. Well, what's your website? So again, so everybody can know. It's um, just uh, sarahrostrason.com. Okay. So. Gotcha. Cool. Well, thanks so much for coming on. I really enjoyed uh, picking your brain, getting your perspective on some things. I thought it was a fun conversation. Mm-hmm. Likewise. Um, yeah. If you ever want to come back on and discuss it again or you have new insights or something, we'd love to hear it. Yeah, absolutely. Thank you guys again for having me on. Um, we would definitely get in trouble because I could talk about this stuff all day. I love <laughs> debating theology. So, <laughs> you know, good stuff. Yeah. But yeah, I appreciate it a lot. Cool. Sweet. Thanks, guys. Come back next week. Shoots. Shoots.